0: Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. It is a joy to be with you this morning. And uh, as we begin, I want to pray... Uh, The prayer out of Ephesians that Paul prayed for the the church at Ephesus is a powerful prayer and it really applies to, to what we're doing this morning. So let me pray for us. Glorious Father, give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know the Lord Jesus better. And I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we can know the hope to which the Lord Jesus has called us. Reveal to us The riches of Christ's glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us and to us and through us who believe. Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may fully reign in our hearts and through our hearts and through our lives through faith. Father, we pray that we will become rooted and established in your love that we might have the power together with all the saints to fully grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, Lord, this is the heart of my prayer. Please fill us completely with all the fullness of God. For you are able... Father, to do immeasurably more than all that we could ever ask or imagine. According to the power that's at work within us. (laughs) To you be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, hallelujah. Man, what a prayer. What a prayer. Lord, answer that prayer this morning. So we're in a sermon series uh, an eight-week sermon series. This is week seven, so we just have one more sermon in this series, and I'm really excited about next week. Next week is kind of like the climax, the pinnacle of this whole thing. And so please don't miss, if you if you possibly can be here, I want you to be here to hear this. Last week, Dennis shared with us, uh, our associate pastor, Dennis Kozlov, shared with us that um, union with Christ is is... The, the normal Christian life, like, like to really be in touch with that. And, and that the gospel that comes from what Christ has done for us is not a gospel of a second chance. In other words, Jesus died for us so we could have a second chance to get it right. You know, after all our sins, well, our sins are forgiven, so we live now in a second chance. Because God, that, that's not how this, this is supposed to work. And it's also not just... You know, Jesus did this for you, so out of gratitude for him, you need to go out and live your life in gratitude. You know, just always remembering what Jesus has done for you. And, and you know, Dennis said that basically that kind of, of living, uh, you can only go so far on gratitude and then life just takes over. And so that's not what Jesus has given us in his death, burial, and resurrection. He has given us union with himself. He's given us a new life. We have become a new creation, each one of us, and Jesus really did in the cross give birth to a new race of people. And I'm going to talk about the old race and how it became the old race and how you and I are now a part of the new race and how we're supposed to live this out in union with Christ. And so the gospel is about a new life, but the gospel is about union with Christ as our life inside of us, us and him, him and us, okay? So I was having my Monday morning devotions. I I get to have a little extra time on Mondays because it's my day off. And so I got up, you know, showered, got my coffee, got a little breakfast, sat down in my big fluffy chair in my room where I have my devotions and begin to go through, I have a few devotional books that I go through. I read the Word and then I, I read these devotional books. And there was one book that said if Jesus lived every moment of his life only doing what the Father did and only saying what the Father says, living in obedience to his Father every moment, how come we so often as Christians just live our lives, even though he's in us and we're in him, live, live our lives like he's somewhere else? He's in some distant planet or up there in heaven looking down on us, and we make decisions and we make plans and we never consult with him. We just do our thing. You know, the Old Testament called that doing what was right in their own eyes, and when Israel did what was right in their own eyes, they always got in trouble. The people of God were instructed by Joshua to, to live differently than that, to live dependent on God, seeking God, looking to God, and yet every time israel began to do what you know the people of israel began to do it was right in their own eyes they would get in trouble they would get taken over by some foreign army or whatever and and so this author said why on earth are we living like that doing what's right in our own eyes making decisions without ever consulting christ making plans doing things and then you know he's an afterthought in our quiet time or or when we pray our prayers at night before we fall asleep That's not okay. That's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in union with him. So this morning, I want to talk about what does that look like? Like, how do we live out this union with Christ? How do we do that? What does that look like? Listen, I'm going to go way more into detail about the how next week in the final sermon. Like, let's get down to the nitty-gritty but I want to talk about, in general this morning, how we live this life with Christ, in union with Christ, with Christ as our life. Uh, and so, the title of our, the, the, the morning message is Living Out Our Union. And uh, this is kind of a mini-series in the big series, the eight-week. This week and next week is about the how, how to do this. How do we do this? How do we live in union with Christ? Because, you know... That whole concept of of union with Christ and Christ and me and me and him and him and me can seem a little bit kind of ethereal, kind of a little bit like theological, philosophical, but not really connecting with me and where I live and the struggles that I go through on a daily basis. And so how do I live out this union with Christ? Well, I want to... I want to quickly look at God's purpose for the human race from the very beginning. You know, God created us because he wanted more children. The father wanted more children. The son wanted a bride. And and so we are that. But in the very beginning, God kind of lays out why he creates us. And, and, and again, I, I've said this probably a thousand times, but I don't think I can ever, in the face of this culture, of naturalism and evolution and big bang theory and all that I don't think I can ever say enough there's only two two ways we got here we're some kind of cosmic accident or we were created by a god who was intelligent and wanted to make us in his image to be his children one means that you're an accident you're nothing The other means that you are an image bearer of God. So let's look at this. Then God said, let us make mankind, humankind, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over. That's that's really, so so let us, the Father looks at the Son and says, let us make humankind, male and female, in our image so that, so that, the purpose for that is that they might co-reign with us over the earth. Verse 27 of Genesis 1, so God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, together, we reflect the image of God. And God blessed them. God blessed them and said to them, this is his first command to the human race, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth and subdue it. See, God's intention, the way he rules over the universe, was for us to rule over the earth. And this was going to be the focal point of God's attention for all eternity. Life with us on planet earth. When God started this thing, you know... I believe that Satan, if you read Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, you kind of get the story of this beautiful archangel, Lucifer, which means son of light, who when God decided to create creatures in his image and likeness that would be above him, superior to him, two-thirds of the angels said, go God, and a third of the angels said, no way. I don't want any part of this. And, and so Lucifer was kind of the head of the rebellion, and he said, I will exalt my throne above the throne. I will be like the most high. You're not going to create a, a, a race of people that are a race of creatures that are, are more substantial and higher and more important than me. I will be like the most high. That was not his place. And so he was kicked out of heaven. And I believe he came to the very planet that that God had created to be our home and just tore it up. And so there was, it says, the earth was formless and void. I think there's a reason for that. God doesn't just create things formless and void. And so he created human beings out of the dust of this thing. And he planted, it says, a garden called Eden, paradise. And he tells his people, I've created you in my image and likeness. Now I want you to to multiply to have lots of children and and take this garden and keep increasing it until it covers the entire face of the earth this earth was supposed to be a paradise and it was supposed to be extended and expanded through the children of these image bearers the image bearers of god adam and eve and their children and their children's children and we death was not supposed to be a part of this Illness, sin, none of this was supposed to be a part of this. This universe or this uh, earth was supposed to be a paradise filled with people that were image bearers of, of the Father and the Son of God. And we all know what happened. There was rebellion in the human race. They listened to this fallen angel and went the way of Satan. They too rebelled against God. They wanted to be like God. That's what Satan tempted them. He said like, he knows that when you eat this forbidden fruit, that you'll be just like him. And they're like, really? He didn't tell us that. Yeah, he's holding out on you. And so they, they ate, and they, they spiritually died. And so Adam gave birth to a race of spiritually dead people. See, we, we, we're, I mean, human beings are in their soul. They have a soul. We have mind, will, emotions, and an identity that got distorted by Satan, And then we have a body. But we're born with a dead spirit because our first set of parents died spiritually. That's why Jesus tells Nicodemus, if you're going to see the kingdom, you have to be born again. You have to be born of the spirit. So, the human race became very, very distorted. Instead uh, Instead of being image bearers of God... We began to look a lot more like sin and Satan. And by the way, we just, in, in our rebellion against God, we took the keys to the earth that he had given us and handed them over to Lord Satan. And you, you know a number of times in John, it talks about how Satan is the lord of this world, the ruler of this world. He says it over and over again. But he says, I came to destroy the works of the enemy, as d- of the devil, and the ruler of this world will be cast down. but you see human beings that were supposed to be image bearers of God became image bearers of sin and Satan more than God now we still there there's still things about us that look like God we still care for our children that sort of thing but you got to remember that if you read the book of Genesis man early on in the first couple of thousand years the human race became so corrupt so so sin laden so so filthy so unlike God, that he had to start over with Noah and his family. He had to kind of destroy the whole thing and start over so that, that he could bring forth people that look more like him than like Satan and sin. But still, <laughs> it, it, you know, in our fallen state, we needed a Savior. We, we needed someone that would come and give life to our spirits. There was a. I read a uh, a little story about uh, this. This guy was saying that. Imagine that there were some folks from another planet. I, I don't believe in aliens, but but let's just pretend there there was another planet with you know intelligent life, and they heard that God had made human beings on Earth to be His image bearers, to 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 be made in His image and likeness, and so they they put together this this spacecraft and they sent a delegation to earth and they landed in baltimore now i don't know if you've heard i just this week i heard statistics in baltimore it's a city taken over by street gangs it's a city taken over by crime there were i believe it was 738 shootings in baltimore in 2021 and 340 something deaths or murders in baltimore and people are afraid to go out on the street for fear they'll be killed even in areas that used to be safe, they're afraid to go to the streets because they're afraid of drive by shootings and murders and muggings and all this stuff. Imagine this spaceship lands in Baltimore, and they get out and they they begin to to look around and they're looking for these creatures made in the image of God because they want to see what God looks like and they see they see people sleeping on the street just you know dying with overdoses of drugs they see street gangs fighting each other they see they all they see is violence and ugliness and drunkenness and 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 death and and uh, you know after a day or so they're like let's get out of here this place is horrible and on their way back they're like oh i can't i just can't stand the thought of going back and telling the people on my planet that god is horrible because they're the image bearers of God and I don't, we don't like what we saw. You know, apart from Christ, apart from the spiritual rebirth, apart from having the spirit of God come into us, Christ's spirit come in and, and quicken us to life and begin to live spiritually uh, awake again and, and living like Christ on this earth. We're subhuman. We're not living the way we're supposed to live. In fact, Jesus, when he came, he entered as God the Son into human flesh, and not only did he reveal what God looks like and is like, because that's, remember, that's why he came. No one has seen God at any time. J- Dennis read this last Sunday. He came to show us what God was like. The Word is the definition of God, the expression of God the description of God, the, the, um, the unpacking, you know, like the revealing of God. That's what the word does. It reveals. The word reveals. It explains. It describes. It defines. He came to describe, explain, reveal what God was like, the Father was like. And he became also the one who would show us what real human beings are supposed to be like. He was the first human being to live as a human being, the way God created us to live since the fall of Adam. Did you realize that? Until Christ came, Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, and he walked with God. He and Eve were in relationship with God, and they were what they were supposed to be. When he named the animals and gave them their characteristics, not not only did Adam just name the animals, he said, a dog is this, This is what it is, and this is what it's like. And it's friendly, and it's loving, and it wags its tail, and it's glad to see its master. A cat is like this. You tell it to sit, and it walks off. You want to pet it? It may let you. It may not. Dogs are just like, oh, yeah, oh, you know. Sorry if cat lovers. I didn't mean to insult you. You know, a dog, if you die, a dog will lay there with your body until it dies. A cat will eat you. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not kidding. So we're living a subhumans, distorted image, spiritually dead, living like hell, when we're really meant to be, you know, creating the image of God, spreading paradise around the earth. We're doing anything but spreading paradise if we live in the flesh, if we live in, you know, outside of the spirit of God. So Jesus comes, he steps in into time and space as the first real human since the fall of Adam, and he's he's here to show us what God is like and what we're supposed to be like. And he was so attractive. Man, tax collectors and sinners ran to him because they saw God, they saw love, they saw grace, they saw acceptance, they saw unconditional love and grace and forgiveness. And they ran towards him. Man, I want want people to run toward me because I'm so much like Jesus. I I look so much like God. And so Jesus came. He emptied himself of his God mode (laughs) where he could do anything he wanted to. and, and, And he decided, I mean, he didn't decide. God the Father, God the Son agreed that he would come and live like we have to live emptied himself of his glory. He had to live dependent on the Spirit of God, just like you and me, and listening, watching, listening to, watching what his Father's doing, listening to what he's saying, and only doing those things in the power of the Spirit. He didn't have any advantage over us except an eternal relationship with the Father and Son. Now, he had memory of that relationship. He knew the Father. He knew the Son, I mean the spirit. And so that's the leg, I believe that's the leg up that he had, is this eternal relationship in the one that he knew and loved and, and came here to serve. But he submitted to live out his life as a human, living by the indwelling spirit, praying and listening and obeying the Father, not doing anything in his own strength and power, so that he would live like us, so that we could live like him. Does that make sense? So that's what, So basically I'm saying Jesus lived with the same relationship with the Father through the Spirit that we're supposed to. He had to find out through the Spirit what the Father's will was. So when he calls his disciples, what does he do? He doesn't just say, hey, I know, I've, I've decided who's going to follow me. I'm going to invest in you guys. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call Peter you know, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, blah, 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 blah. That's not what he did. It says that he went up on a, to a quiet place up in the hills in, in uh, Galilee, and he prayed all night and sought the Father's will. And the next day he comes down and he calls his disciples to him, and he appoints them as his disciples, the 12. You know, as I was thinking about sharing this, I was wondering, did he know that Judas was going to be Judas, you know? I, I don't know. But God, the Father, told him to call Judas, and he did it. He obeyed his father. He didn't sit be like, wait a minute, Father. I mean, I, I agree with these other 11, but this dude Judas, man, he, he's kind of, he's, he's, he's got shifty eyes, a little shady. I'm not sure about this dude. You know, I have a little discernment here, and I'm not sure he's the guy, you know? He, he didn't do that. The Father said Judas, he, he called Judas, you know, I, I think about the way Jesus lived. I believe when, when he was walking through Jericho, I don't know if he got this in prayer the morning before or it's as he was kind of observing what God was doing. He walked through Jericho. He walked through a crowd of people, walked past everyone in that town and saw this little short guy up in a tree named Zacchaeus. And he walks up to Zacchaeus and he's like, okay, all right, Father. Zacchaeus, come down, because I'm supposed to go and have lunch with you today. And that's what he did. He goes to this tax collector. Now, you've got to understand, this guy was the most hated man in Jericho. Because he was, not only was he uh, a tax collector, but he was collecting taxes for the oppressive Roman government. And he was also taking his share of their taxes that they were paying, and they were overtaxed. Like, like Rome just crushed them with taxes. And he was skimming his 10% or whatever it was off the top to live a nice cushy life off the, the blood and sweat and tears of his own people. He was hated. He was a criminal. He was an outcast. He couldn't go into a synagogue without being stoned. He was a total outcast. And Jesus says, I'm having lunch at your house today, Zacchaeus. And, you know, I don't, we don't have any record of Jesus preaching any kind of sermon or shaming Zacchaeus. He just loved this guy. And during lunch, Zacchaeus, recognizing God in human flesh, recognizing the Spirit of God on this man, was convicted. His heart melted. His hard tax collector heart melted in the presence of Jesus. And he stands up and he says, I repent. Of all that I've done, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give them back twice what I took. And I'm going to live a different kind of life. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. But, you know, I I think that Jesus got that information. He got all that, you know, his, his interaction with Zacchaeus straight from the Father through the Spirit. Because he was living in dependence on him. He only did what the Father did, only said what the Father said. He watched what the Father was doing. He listened to what he was saying and he obeyed. Now listen to this. Jesus, I'm gonna read three scriptures and then I'm gonna go to John 14, where, which is the kind of the crux of, of my message this morning. I'm gonna really unpack John 14. There's so much there. Man. I've spent the entire week studying this, and every time I read it or study a little bit more, I see more. And (coughs) I'm going to spare you. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Man, I still have remnants of something I had a month ago. And every now and then I start coughing. So um, in the Gospel of John, I'm going to read three passages where he talks about this, um, how he lived. In John 5, he has just healed the man uh, near the pool of Siloam who couldn't walk. If you have, haven't seen the, the, pa, or the, uh, uh, the Chosen, it's a powerful scene where this man is trying to get down to the waters and when they're stirred and so he can be healed. And Jesus said, you don't need that. You need me. And so he just healed him. And then he said it was the Sabbath, of course. Jesus always tended to heal on the Sabbath because he hated religion. And he told the man, take up his mat and go home. And the Pharisees could give a rip that the guy just got healed. He was concerned. They were concerned about the fact that this man was breaking the laws of the Sabbath by carrying his bed with him. And so they said, who, who told you to take your mat and walk? Who told you that? He said, I don't know. So he kind of did some research. He found out it was Jesus. Then he told them it was Jesus. And so they came to him, and they really started to give him a hard time. If you the, the Gospel of John, you have one encounter, one, one clash, one, one um, verbal conflict, Jesus and the Pharisees after another. John 8 is one of my favorite chapters but where it talks about this, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But Jesus gave this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can only do, I'm sorry, the Son can do nothing by Himself. The Son can do nothing by Himself. Oh, aren't you God? Aren't Jesus, aren't you God in human flesh? He emptied Himself of His glory. The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. The father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus was living in this kind of relationship with his father. John 8. Jesus has just done some other miracle and they're, again, giving him a hard time about it. And so they, they start this argument with Jesus and they say, Well, you're a demon-possessed Samaritan and uh, you're a nobody. You're crazy. You're 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 insane. And Jesus says this, so so this is John uh, 8, 28, and 29. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, in other words, when you put him on the cross, then you will know that I am. He uses the, the Greek term for Yahweh. When you've lifted me up on the cross, you will know that I am. That was shocking. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. I always do what pleases the Father. John 12, he's just ridden into the the city of Jerusalem. They've just hailed him as king of the Jews. This is, you know, like the week of Passover. And so, you know, within a matter of hours, they, they go from saying, oh, you know, Son of David, king of Israel, to crucify him, crucify him. Same group, same crowd. And Jesus knows that that they're fickle and they're not going to continue to believe that he's truly their king. And he says this in verse 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. Everything he said came from the Father. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say. Again, he's only doing and saying what the Father is doing and saying. Why should we live any other way? So let's look at John 14. What, a, what an awesome scripture, man. It, wow, this has got to be in my top three favorite chapters of the Bible. <laughs> wow so guys here's here's what's going to happen I'm going to tell you what's going to happen here and then I want you to hear it from the word Jesus is, a, is telling the disciples basically goodbye he's saying goodbye these are his last words before he's crucified and he's going to tell them I'm in my father and my father is in me and I'm I'm functioning that way, and and I, I I take my my not only my orders but my life from him, and and I do what he says. And now that I'm going to the Father, I'm going to come back in the form of my spirit, and I'm going to indwell you. I've been with you as a human being. Now I'm going to the Father. Then I'm going to come back and be in each one of you, and you're going to be in me, and and we're both going to. I mean. I'm going to be in my Father just like I always have been since the beginning of my ministry and since the beginning of time. We've been one with each other, but we're going to come now and be in you. And I want you to do what I command you to do. I want you to obey me out of love. I want you to live with me the way I've always lived with my Father. I want you to only do what I'm doing and say what I'm saying when I come and live in you. That's what's being said here. I just want you to hear that kind of up front. Because it, it gets, you know, I mean, it, it gets a little wordy or whatever, but, but I, I want to unpack this with you for a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at, at, at John, I believe I have this on, on the, I believe Wes has got this for me here. I'm going to start with verse two, because, you know, he he's just said, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. Believe in the Father, believe in me. Now, let's look at this. Uh, My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Now, I've got to explain this. (laughs) The word rooms right here, the King James Version sadly translates that mansions. So we've got a whole bunch of Christians thinking, I've got a mansion in the sky. When I get to heaven, I have my own mansion." That's not what this is talking about at all. In fact, it's not even talking about heaven here. And, and when, when, Di, when I heard Diane Lehman teach this, uh, Diane spoke to us in July. I heard her teach on this in, uh, at More Love, More Power about four years ago. And when she said this has nothing to do with heaven, I got really upset. I'm like, what are you talking about? I, how many times at funerals have I... Have I said that, you know, God has prepared, you know, Jesus has gone away and he's up there making us some rooms and some, some dwelling places and he's going to come and he's going to take us to live in these places that he, that is not what this is talking about. That's completely out of context. Why would he even talk about that when he's talking about something entirely different? So the, the word rooms right there is the word Abode. Abode. It means a place of dwelling. Yes, it does, a place of dwelling. He says, in my Father's house. What is the Father's house, by the way? Isn't it the temple? Dennis and I have stressed this recently. The temple used to be a, a, a location in Jerusalem on, the, on, on the, uh, Mount Zion, a building. And Paul makes it really clear that you and I are now the temple of God. Like your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, at the time that Jesus is talking about this, this wasn't the case. He was the only one that had the Holy Spirit. The rest of the disciples were like, okay, Jesus, whatever you say. They had no clue. It wasn't until after Pentecost that they really figured this thing out. You know, Pentecost was like, oh, that's what Jesus was talking about. That's what he meant by this, this, and this, and this. They didn't have a clue before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, honestly. They were dummies. (laughs) We know way more than they did until Pentecost. So what Jesus is saying here, my father has many rooms, and you 11, because Judas had already gone to betray him, you 11 are going to be part of those rooms. And he says a couple of different times, I have other people that are going to be these rooms too abode, a place of dwelling. You're going you're gonna to be a place of dwelling. For what? For God. Jesus was trying to get God inside of us. That's part of what the cross and the, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus was all about, bringing God into us. He's going to say this in a moment, but i got to make this really clear. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where was he going? He was going to the cross, He was going to die there, not only for us, but as us and with us. He took us with him so that on the other side of the resurrection, we could be filled with the spirit. We could have God come inside of us and have his abode in us so that we could begin to live like Jesus and know what the father was doing and what the father was saying through Jesus. Know what Jesus, I mean, Jesus is taking his cues from the father and we're taking our cues from him now. It's awesome. So he's going to the cross so that you and I can become an abode, a dwelling place for God to live. That's what's happening here. Not some pie-in-the-sky mansion in heaven. Okay, Please just forget that. And by the way, the word abode is the noun for the word abide that's a verb. The word abide is used 11 times in John 15. The word abode is used twice in John 14, the chapter before. He wants to be our dwelling place. And so he wants to abide in us. To our, you know, we, he wants us to be, our dwelling, uh, to be his dwelling place. And then we're, he, he is our dwelling place and we abide in him. It's that mutual indwelling thing. So he says this, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And in a minute he's going to talk about being in us and us in him. You know the, the way to the place where I'm going. You know the way, and they're like, uh. we don't know the way. What are you talking about? We have no idea what you're talking about. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. Let's just focus on that. One. He says truth and life, yeah. But he said, I'm the way. You understand, it's, 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 it's this union with me. It's this mutual indwelling that puts you in the place where God is and God in the place where you are. So no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. From now on, from now on, from this point forward, you're going to know God. Up until now, it hasn't been the case. But I'm telling you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want to jump to um, verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So there's this mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son. The words I say to you, listen to this, I do not speak on my own authority. See, he, he's emptied himself of his glory. He's speaking the Father's authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. That is a crucial part of this text and a part of this message. I'm going to read that again. It is the father. I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Okay? Believe me. And then he says, look at the works that I do. That's the evidence that the Father is living in me and through me. Because God is producing miracles through me. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. Now, I I know that we always go to the next part of that and even greater works than these. I don't want to focus on that this morning. I've talked about that a thousand times. I want to focus on that first part. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. Why? Why? Because when we believe in him, he comes and lives inside of us, and then we begin to do his works like he did the Father's works. Does that make sense? We're to live with Jesus the way Jesus lived with his Father. Only doing what Jesus is doing, only saying what Jesus is saying. That's how we're supposed to live. Now, that sounds impossible, doesn't it? I mean, when I was reading this on Monday about why do we do our own thing and, and, and live our own lives and make our own decisions and make our own plans without consulting, I was a bit convicted by that. Now, I'm trying to live that way, but I'm, I'm telling you, I am ADD. I have a very short attention span. Ask my mom. I daydreamed my, my way through first and second grade. I don't think I learned a thing except what the trees look like outside the window. I mean, I was ADD. I didn't know it. They didn't even have a definition for that when I was a kid. But I have a very short attention span. And, and, and I'm also a wind tracker Deb, you know, my wife gives me a hard time about this because she can multitask with the best of them. She can watch TV, sleep, do lesson plans, and something else all at the same time. I don't know how she does that. I'm I'm like, you know, so if I'm praying, I'm praying. If I'm working, I'm working. If I'm doing something else, I'm doing something else. But doing all three at the same time is impossible for me. Well, I'm going to tell you a secret. Living this Christian life is an impossible thing. Living like Jesus is impossible. And next week I'm going to talk about how it's actually Jesus living through us that pulls us off. Because we can't do this. But we just got to realize what we're expected of, what's expected of us. And no condemnation this morning. But, so if you've been making plans and you've been making decisions and you're not, and you're, you know, Jesus is in another universe, <laughs> you know, as far as, as the way you function is concerned, don't take any condemnation from that. Man, it, it is really challenging to to live this way but actually it's not challenging it's impossible only Jesus can do this so next week we're going to talk about that part but I just want to talk to you this morning about the fact that we're supposed to live with Jesus the way he lived with his father only doing what the father did only saying what the father said does that make sense? am I getting through here? so where am I? (laughs) Verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So, goes on. Verse 15, <laughs> he says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. He loved his Father and he kept his Father's commands. He did what the Father was at. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. I'm gonna ask the Father, and He's gonna give you my spirit. See, see, your dead spirit is gonna come alive. When God's spirit connects with our dead spirit, we're, we come alive and we're born again. And then that's what happened with the disciples at Pentecost. And they begin to experience life in the spirit. It turned Peter from a coward to a healer and to a great, courageous man that would stand before the same people that put Jesus on the cross and say, "And they said, if you keep preaching the name of Jesus, we're going to kill you. And he said, do what you must, but I will not stop preaching Jesus because there is no other name in heaven or on earth by which men may be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Coward to courageous because of the Spirit inside of him. And it says that they recognized him as having been with Jesus. Yeah, because they were looking at Jesus in the face of Peter. Man, when people look at me, I want them to see Jesus. When people look at you, I want them to see Jesus. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're talking about this. And so we live this life in in union with him, only doing what he's doing, only saying what he's saying. Now, let's, let's look at verse 17. Okay, here we are. Look at the, where it says, But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Where was he right then? He, he lives with you. Where was he living with them? In Jesus. But there's coming a time where he'll actually be in you. And then he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Spirit of Christ. See, the, let's don't parse out the Trinity too much here. He's going to send his spirit, but it's the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. Amen. I will not leave you as a word. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. He's going away in the body. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now he's moved from just talking about him and the Father and the Father in him to now him and the Father being in us. Oh, there's a game changer right there, see. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So he goes back talking about doing his will, obeying him. The one who loves me will will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So there's that revelation. Verse 23, let's look at this. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. There it is. You're going to, if you love me, you'll live with me the way I've lived with my Father. I love my Father. I only do what He's doing. only say what He's saying. If you love me, you'll live the same way with me. These words, I love this, these words that you hear are not my, my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. He's, he's still living that. He's still living that right up until the very, until He obediently goes to the cross. He's still living, only doing what His Father's doing and saying what His Father's saying. Let's jump down to verse 28. You heard me say, I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father. Verse 30, I will not say much more to you, nor will I say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. The prince of this world. Who is that? Satan. We gave the keys over. Adam and Eve gave the keys over to him. Now he's the prince, the ruler of this world. But but Jesus says this, he has... No hold over me. He has no hold over me. He's conspiring with the Jewish leaders and the Roman uh, lead, you know, uh, government to get rid of me, to put me on a cross, but that's to fulfill the plan of God. This, his crucifixion, his death for us was determined by the Father and the Son and the Spirit in eternity past. But he comes... Listen to this. Satan is being used as a tool of God to bring about our salvation. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father commanded me, which is to go to the cross and to die for us so we could live like Jesus, so we could look like Jesus and be like Jesus, so that we can gain our humanity back that we lost And so that you and I can have the Spirit of God and live in obedience to Christ through the Spirit so that we're no longer subhuman, so we're no longer warped images of God and somehow we look more like sin and Satan than we do Jesus. With the Spirit of God alive in us, with the Spirit of Christ alive in us, with this union with Him and living our lives with Him, we now actually look like a real human being was supposed to look image-bearers of the Father and the Son in the Spirit. You and I are supposed to look like Jesus, and we're also supposed to live like Jesus. Stay tuned. That's next week's sermon. As we obey Him, we can't do that in our own flesh and strength any more than He did it in His own flesh and strength. He did. He obeyed the Father through the Spirit, and that's how we have to live. And we'll talk about how that works next week. But have you heard me? We are to live our humanity, our image-bearer of God humanity out through the indwelling Christ in obedience to Him the way Jesus obeyed His Father. When we do that, we look like God and we become image bearers again of God's presence on the earth. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.